Father God, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here again today. Lord, we just want to say thank you for all that you've done for us to make all this possible. And Lord, just the opportunity to come together with fellow believers, to read your word, to be able to pray. It is such a privilege. God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives today and remind us of that. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters to you who aren't able to be here today. Lord, we just think about Mr. Henry. We just thank you for working in him this week and helping him to be able to come home. God, we pray for Miss Magdalene as she's been struggling. And Lord, you know, she's in some pain and just hasn't felt well lately. God, we pray for her and pray that you would work out all these appointments and all this stuff, Lord, to just bring some light into this situation, Lord, so some healing can be brought. God, we just pray for our service today. God, we ask that you would work and move in our lives. Lord, every one of us are here. And Lord, we know that there's something in our lives that, Lord, we just need you. God, in some way, shape, and form, God, we need you. Maybe it's in a request. Maybe it's in a situation, a circumstance. Lord, maybe there's just a hole inside of us that just needs to be filled. And God, we just need you to fill it. Lord, whatever it may be today, I pray that you would show up and move and work. And God, that you would provide. Lord, you are the creator. You're the author of life. And God, you're the provider of everything that we need. And so, Lord, we call on the name of Jesus Christ today. And we ask that you would work and move in us and through us. And we love you. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. <clears throat> it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And so I know we spent like nine weeks talking about faith with Noah several weeks ago, but we're talking about some unspoken sins of the church, some things that we as Christians struggle with that we don't like to necessarily talk about. Maybe we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about them. But as far as faith goes, you know, we, we have this temptation in our life to just quietly doubt. And we do that in a lot of different ways and a lot of different things. We're going to talk about a few this morning. But, but it is very important for us to know that if Satan can cause you to doubt, then he chips away at the very foundation upon which everything in your relationship with Christ is built on. Think about that. If he can cause you to doubt, even in the tiniest way, he is chipping away at the foundation upon which everything your relationship with Jesus Christ is built on. And he is going to come at us and he is going to challenge us. He is going to put these little thoughts in our mind that's going to cause us to doubt and question and just not be sure and to just second guess so many things in our relationship with the Lord. And we're going to talk about a few of those today. But faith is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, without faith, there's nothing. 
You know, even the, the last verse of that, verse 17, says, it's through faith that a righteous person have, has life. You can be righteous and still not have eternal life. You can be righteous and still not have life. You could be a good person. You could do all kinds of things. You could obey every extent to the law within your natural ability, and you could still not have life. It is only through faith that a righteous person has life. Faith is the very essence upon which our relationship with God is built. Romans chapter 3, verse 30 through 31. Paul writes again, There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law? Now, you with me this morning? There is a lot, there's a lot that we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you spend your whole life trying to obey the law, you're not going to get anywhere. You with me today? Like, you can't possibly do it underneath your own strength, underneath your own ability. You can't obey all the laws. You can't do everything that God wants you to do. But through faith, we have the ability to accomplish the law. Through faith. And you remember, much of what our relationship with Christ is built off of, all of it is built off of faith. The Bible says through Christ, all things are possible. So you take about fulfilling the law in your life, what's impossible for you through Christ becomes possible. Faith is huge. And so if Satan can come in, and if he can put, the slightest doubt in your mind about anything in your relationship with the Lord, he automatically has a shoe in the door and he can just continue to filter things in through it. Faith and belief in Christ is so important. And as people, so many people in America claim faith in Christ, right? You know the majority of people in America still profess to be Christians? And you say like, wait a minute, if we're professing to be Christians, then why does our society and everything, why are they trying to implement laws and, and all this stuff that directly promotes and gives advantages to sinful things? Trying to instill curriculum into our school system that's mandatory to teach sinful things. But yet, so many people in America still profess to be Christians. You with me today? There's a huge difference in professing faith in Jesus Christ and in actually having faith. True faith calls us to live like Christ. True faith calls us to fulfill the law. Professing faith doesn't really get us anywhere. And we have a country full of people, the majority of people, who have faith, who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but they don't live like they have faith. You with me today? As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want eternal life, if you want a relationship with the Lord, you are called to live by faith. Not to fulfill the law underneath your own power because you can't do it, but to fulfill the law through the power of Jesus Christ. Faith is so important. And it's not just about lifestyles and resisting the sins of the world. It goes so much deeper than that. Doubt is ingrained in the very being of American Christians. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. You know, if you follow churches across the world, 
you hear about some amazing things and miracles and the Holy Spirit moving and some amazing things being done in all these other countries around the world and all these other smaller churches around the world. And you say, well, why isn't that being done here? Why are the things that you hear about in other places not happening here? And the thing is, is it's, it's a simple lack of faith. And we would never say that because we say we have faith in Christ, right? You believe in Jesus? Please. I hope, I hope you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, like that's, that's, that's the start. We say we believe in Christ, but a lot of times we don't live like it. So let's go through some of them. Point number one, many people who claim faith in Christ doubt whether or not it's worth it. You just do, especially as a young person. And even sometimes as we get older in life, we just doubt whether or not it's worth it. Whenever you start putting stuff on the scales of life and you start having to weigh out like what's more important than other things, a lot of times it's really hard for us to look at things in life and say, okay, I know what God calls us to do, what he wants me to do, but is it really worth giving up these things in order to be where God wants me to be? Is it really worth giving up this relationship? Is it really worth giving up this job, giving up this dream, giving up this goal, giving up this thing in order to do God's will in my life? We have a really hard time weighing it out. And a lot of times, we as Christians, we love to preach freedom, right? That there's freedom in Christ and that you're free to do whatever. And that you shouldn't have to weigh out costs and you shouldn't have to like sacrifice all these things. But one thing I want you to consider as we talk today, and this will be pretty relevant through the rest of the passage, is that everything in Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation deals directly with sacrificing things to the Lord. In Genesis chapter 4, you see the first beginning of sacrifices. They were to take the best of what they had and bring it to God and give it to Him and let it go. And that continues all the way through the Old Testament. And then it continues in the New Testament when Jesus calls us to be living sacrifices. But in order to sacrifice, we have to give up and we have to let go. And we have a hard time doing that. We don't like to put things on a scale. So I just want to read a passage of Scripture to you. Luke 14, verses 25 through 30. It's a very familiar passage. We've probably heard it a bunch of times, but we don't like it. So let's read it together. A large crowd was following Jesus, and Jesus turned around, and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. What? That doesn't make sense, Jesus calling us to hate other people. Just remember, by comparison, the love that you should have for God, the love that you should have for Christ, should be so great that by comparison, it looks like you would hate anyone and everything else. And this is hard. This is heavy teaching. I understand that this morning. I want you to stay with me. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And I know today there's some mamas and daddies in here who's saying, dude, I, I could never, like, hate my children and compare, like, whenever it comes to it, I don't, like, if I had to, like, choose between my children and choose between God, I don't think I could make that choice. I, I mean, I don't even understand how he would even expect us to make that choice. And there's some husbands and wives, and you're thinking the same thing, and there's some little kids in here this morning, you're just like, dude, that's my mom and daddy. I, I, I don't think I could choose Jesus over my mom and daddy. 
And when you start talking about what it means to be a true follower of Christ and what it truly means to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to believe in him with the amount of faith that he calls us to, it calls us to do extreme things that doesn't make sense to us and it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. And this, this is the hard teaching that we as Christians, we don't always enjoy these times because it's very convicting to us. You with me this morning? Like none of us would have came in here this morning and said, I, I, I doubt God, I doubt my faith in God, or, or I have doubt in my life and, and my faith's weak. But when you start talking about things like this, then you start realizing that, yeah, okay, maybe like my faith is weak because it's very hard for me to process that this is worth giving up in order to have this. But having, excuse me, having faith in Jesus Christ is the realization that he is better than anything else that exists. And he's not telling you to hate your husband and wife this morning. Some of you already do that. Some of you teenagers in this morning, he's not telling you to hate your parents, even though sometimes you do. There's a calling in our life to love God so much above and beyond the way that we love our children and our spouses and our parents that it looks like we hate them in comparison to the amount of love that we have for Christ. Does that make sense? If you love Christ and you love God the way that he's called you to, you will naturally love your children and your spouses and your parents the way actually better than what you actually do. Because all those things over here fall in place when this is the way that it's supposed to be. Because Christ's love is sacrificial. It causes you to give yourself up. A lot of times loving people is not necessarily giving them what they want or what they ask for or what they expect, but giving them what they need and what Christ wants for them to have. There's a lot of mamas and daddies raising their kids in church, professing to be Christians, but they're not loving Christ enough to give their children Christ. They're loving their children too much and not giving them enough Christ. And that's why a lot of kids don't stay in church and they don't profess to be Christians when they get to the age where they have to decide for themselves. There's a direct correlation here. We would never say that we doubt Christ, but a lot of times we, we just, man, we just struggle with weighing it out, evaluating the cost. In verse 27, it says, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And in verse 28, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might only complete the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And basically what Jesus is saying is, is if you say that you are a follower of mine, you say that you believe in me, you need to count those costs. You need to pull out your scales in your life. You need to begin to weigh things out. And Jesus should be that counterweight that measures everything else upon which he should win. He should win. And if you're not willing to count that cost and understand that he should outweigh everything else, then technically we are not worthy to be his disciple. There's something that has not happened in our life yet that has brought us to the point of realizing how much we need him, how much we should serve him, how much we should be sacrificing for him. 
And we don't like that because it sounds dirty and it sounds like, oh, how could we choose him over this? Because these, we, we love them and we, we care about them and it just sounds so dirty. But that's what Christ calls us to do. And guys, I just want to remind you, we talked about this a little bit last week. It's the subtle things. It's the subtle things. Many of us are not going out and we're not committing these crazy sins in the world. We're not, we're not going out and partying and doing all this crazy stuff and just living in sin. And no one would ever look at us, most of us in this room, and just be like, you know, they're probably not a Christian because they don't live like... Most, most people would probably never question whether or not that you're a Christian. But it's the little things in our life. It's the subtle things that if we don't allow Christ to work in our life in these little things like doubting in these small areas, these are the things that we get mired up in. And you don't always see the consequences of them immediately. You don't always understand how dangerous and detrimental they can be immediately because they're subtle. Sometimes you don't even know they're there. And so if Satan can weasel his way in and put his little wedge in the door, he can just start slipping stuff in through the cracks. And then eventually you end up 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road and you're professing to be a Christian and yet your faith is as weak as what it was 20, 30 years ago. And you haven't grown in your relationship with the Lord because everything about your relationship with Christ is built off of faith. And if you doubt whether or not something is worth giving up, if you doubt whether or not sacrificing is worth it, you're never going to be able to grow. You're never going to be able to move forward in your relationship with Christ. The American church is not known for sacrificing. Think about it. The American church has been known for consuming, getting what we want, being comfortable in what we have. That's why the name it and claim it gospel gospel is, is so appealing to a lot of people because people want Christ, but yet they want stuff and blessings and they want everything else the world has to offer too. But that's not what God necessarily has for us. Christ should look so good. He should be so important in your life that when you compare anything else to him, it's so far down here it almost looks like hatred. Does that make sense? That's why the world, I want you to think about this. We're we're living in a day and time where we're dealing with a lot of cultural things, a lot of cultural changes, and there are people in the world who looks at Christians who don't believe in what they want. and Well, you, you hate us. You, you, you know how like, you're not accepting of us. You're, you're not tolerant of us and all this stuff. And it's not a matter of we don't love them or we don't care about them as people, but it's a matter of choosing Jesus Christ and saying, this is what I believe. This is what I base my whole life on. And it's not just a matter of not agreeing with you. I've sacrificed a lot of things in life in order to choose Christ. You're just one of the many. But people can't see that because in comparison, it looks like hatred, especially to the world. Because it seems so narrow-minded. How can Jesus be the only way? It seems so narrow-minded. We have to be careful not to doubt whether or not it's worth it. Point number two. We doubt whether or not God really wants to. Because we would never say that God can't, or he's not able, or that he won't. That just sounds dirty, right? It sounds dirty just to be like, God can't do that. 
But I guarantee you there's everyone in this room who has prayed prayers and thought about things and, and thought about stuff in life, and we've constantly questioned, and we'll say, well, maybe it's just not God's will. And so there are certain circumstances in life where like you could kind of apply that. But, but what I want to challenge you with in this point this morning is, is to understand that God's will is not that complicated. We should not be sitting around praying whether or not something is God's will, trying to scratch our heads and figure out this complicated equation as to whether or not this is what God's want. God's will is very plain and simple. One of the things we've been talking about on Wednesday night during our Bible study is that in the book of Matthew, you have all these religious leaders who are coming, they're grilling Jesus and they're asking him all these like complicated, weird questions. And you, sometimes you're like, you know, we don't understand the context behind all of them. But every time Jesus answers, it's like the most simple, rudimentary response that you can possibly give that even an elementary school kid could understand it. It's always the simplest answer. Because God does not make things complicated. Our God is not a God of confusion and chaos. He's a God of order and simplicity. And Jesus said that if you want to serve me, you must have the faith of a child. So simple that a child can understand it. I want to read to you some passages of Scripture. And all these deal with different aspects of what God's will is for us. And I want to challenge you because if you go and you want to know what God's will is... It's written out plainly. So let me just read a few of them that I have. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. When you think about your relationship with God today and you think about the situation and circumstances in your life, life may not be exactly what you want it to be right now. It may not feel like God is there and like God has a plan for your life or you may not feel like there's this direction going on in your life right now, but you need to know and remember and cling to the simple fact of that God has a plan for you and that God wants to help you prosper and give you a bright hope and a future. You with me today? God's desire and plan for your life is not for you to fail and it's not for you to be... There may be times and seasons in our life when we suffer... And they may not be what we want them to be, but God's plan for you is to give you a bright hope and a future. You need to cling to that today. And it's not just in this life, but to give you an eternal future. You with me? That's one. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases our Savior. You want to be pleasing to God? Pray. Pray for people. Pray for your leaders who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. I just want to say something. You know, we're kind of getting in that like point where, you know, the election's about to come back up. And I know there's a lot of people who aren't really happy with the leadership in our country and things that are going on. And I want you to understand, God's will for your life, when it comes to these things, is not for you to fly flags to say nasty things about our leaders. Or to sit around and just talk junk about them all the time. It's okay to disagree and it's okay not to be happy, but God's will for your life is to pray for people. 
to pray for your brothers and sisters, to pray for your enemies, to pray for your leaders, to pray for your kings. And, and if we weren't so busy talking trash and flying flags and we begin praying and asking God to move and work on people's hearts, you might see some change in them. Does Jesus not have the power to change people? Does he? Does Jesus not have the power to save people? To reveal things to them? To speak into them? I don't know what Bible y'all read, but I know that whenever I read Scripture, and anytime you're dealing with great leaders in authority and these massive empires across the world, and God's setting up special moments and times and people in such situations, that he spoke to these leaders. He, he revealed things to them, and he used his people in order to help do that. We talk about God's will, we should be praying for people. Praying for our leaders, lifting them up in prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Plain as day. This is God's will for you, to be thankful in all circumstances. That's not easy. It's not what we always want to hear. There's a lot of circumstances and situations in life that absolutely stink. But God's calling for your life is to be thankful in all situations and circumstances. Because more than likely, whatever it is that you're going through right now, whatever situation or circumstances that you are enduring right now, this is an opportunity for you to be a witness and a minister to somebody in the way that you handle it and the way that you glorify God in it. These are things that we need to cling to. We're always worried about you know, my future, what decisions I should make, and all this stuff. When you start talking about God's will, God's will is very simple. You just keep on reading. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, God's will is for you to be holy. Stay away from all sexual sin. Not just some, all. God's will is for you to be holy. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Be holy. It's simple. We think about it, we contemplate, we sit around, scratch our heads and pray, God, is this your will for my life? Is this, is this what you want me to do? And so many times it's written right there for us. We don't have to go asking or seeking, it's already there. Hebrews 13, verse 21. May he equip you with all that you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ and every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. God's will for your life is to equip you to do the things that he's called you to do. But you got to be willing and you got to be humble. And you got to be surrendering in order for him to be able to equip you to do the things that he's called you to do. James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So many times we sit around and we ask for all kinds of things in life but we never ask for things that God like really wants to give us, which is wisdom. You just think about the story of Solomon. And when Solomon becomes king, the Lord comes to him and says, ask for anything, anything, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And because he didn't ask for wisdom, God said, you could have asked for riches, you could have asked for fame, you could have asked for anything you wanted, but because you asked for wisdom, I will give you everything else that you could have asked for that could have came with it. But I'll give you that because you chose wisdom over the things of the world. You with me this morning? We serve a God who has things that he wants to give us and according 
to each of us gives us blessings and things above and beyond what we should be asking for and beyond what his will for our life is. You with me today? It's simple. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I guarantee you there are some young kids in here this morning who are thinking, what should I do? What, what should I be? Where should I go to school? What, what's, you know, I don't, and there's all these decisions that you have to make, and there's so much pressure behind it. Many of you have already been there and done that, and it's very important for you to understand this morning that like, whatever you do in life does not matter. You with me today? It, it does not matter. God's calling on every single one of our lives is to be like Christ. That is the only thing in life that Jesus Christ has called you to do is to be like him. And if you seek God and if you seek his will in your life, he'll show you which path to take. You don't have to sit around and spend years praying, God, should I go to this school? God, should I, should I be this for the rest of my life? Should I be this profession? If you seek after Christ, he will show you which path to take. I believe that wholeheartedly. He will lead you to the school you need to go to, to the job you need to be in. He'll give you the promotion that you need. He'll change positions for you to be in where you need to be. He'll send you the relationships and the friends that you're supposed to have. Whatever it is in your life that you're worried about and you're asking the Lord, I want you to understand, He will lead you to where He wants you to be. 1 Peter 2.15, It is God's will... That your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Your life should be honorable in such a way that if anyone said anything negative against you, that people would say, whatever. Like what you say has no bearing on that person whatsoever because there's not an ounce in my body that believes that they would do what you said they did or anything that you say against them. Our lives should be so honorable that it would silence them. Micah 6.8, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Guys, it's not complicated, I, and that's, that's only part of them. I didn't even read all. There's so many passages of Scripture of what it specifically just calls us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not some mind-blowing thing. You don't have to spend your life going on this ridiculous journey trying to get a vision or a voice or, or some, a message from the Lord on what it is that he wants you to do. He's already told us what it is that he wants from us. All the other stuff along the way, if we're faithful to the Lord and we're serving him, we're doing what he wants to do, he'll lead us. He'll absolutely lead you. I did not go to school to be in ministry. I never desired to be in ministry. I cannot tell you how perfectly God aligned everything in my life to lead me into the position that I'm in now because it was not by my plans at all or what I wanted. I tried to seek him as best as I could and he laid everything else out as perfectly as he could lay it out. I didn't have to go seeking it. I didn't have to go desiring it. He already had it worked out. We don't have to try so hard and it's so much easier, you know, when you, when you have a point like this in a passage, you don't even really have to preach on the point. The Scripture does it for you. 
so many passages. God's will for your life is not about where you go or what you do or anything, but whatever you're in, in whatever situation you're in, be thankful. Serve Jesus Christ. Be like him in that situation. And that's all that you can do. Because there's going to be many times in our life where we're not in the most ideal situations and circumstances, but Christ has called us to be like him, to be an example, to be a witness. Point number three, we doubt eternal life. You ever think about it? You ever like just, just like acknowledge that, you know, sometimes I, I doubt eternal life. We do, whether we like to admit it or not. And no one would ever say, like, I doubt that heaven is real, but the proof's in the pudding, the proof's in how we live. Do you live like you're going to heaven, or do you live like there is no heaven? And all the things in life that we do and how we serve Christ, like, point directly to whether or not we actually believe that heaven's real. In Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39, it says, So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward that it brings you. And it's very important to remember that the reward is eternal life. I mean, this is what we're all striving for. Now, now think about this. What Christianity leads us to is eternal life with God, is eternal relationship with God. That's what we should be striving for. That's what the goal and the desire should be. But it says, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We are followers of Jesus Christ who are anticipating the day that we'll be joined together with him in eternity. And the thing is, when you think about it, is, is that we all like, oh, I want to go to heaven, right? Everyone wants to go to heaven. If it exists, that's where we want to go, right? But nobody's in a hurry to get there. There's very few people that you actually talk to where they say, yes, I'm ready. If the Lord would take me today, I would be happy to go today. I actually want to go to heaven. I realize that that place is so much better than this place that I would rather be there now. You don't meet hardly anybody who has that attitude. And that right there alone shows that there is some doubt in our view of eternal life in heaven. Because if we really understood, and if we really believed that everything Scripture talks about eternal life, that that is exactly where we would want to be. You guys realize in the early church, one of the biggest problems they had in the early church with Christians is there were people who were trying to be martyred. They would do things and say things in order to be martyred in the name of Jesus Christ because they wanted to give their life for Christ so that they could go to heaven. It's a pretty different story today, ain't it? Not many people you find wanting to do that. Most Christians don't live in a way that is sacrificing in this life and storing up for eternity. Think about your life so far. Most of everybody in here completed 12 years of school so that you could go and get a job. 
It's a big investment. Whether you realize it or not, it's an investment. Your parents have made you do most of that, but it's an investment. They realized it was important, made you do it. Some of you went to school for four more years. Some of you went to school for eight years. Some of you worked and you went and got different certifications and everything so you could get higher pay. You've worked overtime. Some of you have worked 20, 30, 40 years so that you could retire. You've invested money in stocks and bonds and different things so that you'd have money later on. There's all kinds of things in this world that we've invested in. A lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort that we've invested in. And then when you begin to compare it to the things that you've literally consciously said, I'm going to do this in order to store up treasure in heaven because I know one day that's where I'm going to be and that's where I'm going to spend eternity. You with me today? I want you to think about this. We as people, we work and we store up a, a good portion of our wealth into retirement hoping that we'll still be alive in order to enjoy it. Right? I mean, we're, it's a gamble. But if you really believe in God and you really believe in eternal life, why are we not investing more in heaven where we know we're going to be and it's not just going to be a temporary thing, but we'll be there for all eternity? Because the truth is, we doubt a lot more than we like to admit. It's not an easy thing. And you know, I... This morning, I want you to understand, I'm not throwing stones at you. I've said it a hundred times. A lot of times whenever I preach on Sunday morning, this is stuff that I'm working out in my own life. Like whenever you sit around and you just, you think about your relationship with the Lord, you think about what you're investing your time and your life in and what you're looking forward to and what your goals are. And it's just like, how much do I really believe this? And you look at the church in America in general, and we are not known... For sacrificing and giving things up, but we're known for consuming to make our church better, more comfortable, the way that we want it. It's it's so confusing so many times because so much of it is a lot about us and not so much about God. And then our life is so much about what we can get and investing in things here rather than investing things in eternity. In Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Guys, when we talk about this this morning, it's the subtle things that can really get us in the most danger in our relationship with the Lord. Because it doesn't seem like so sinful to, to be focused on career or retirement or things of the... That doesn't seem sinful. And I'm not saying it is sinful, but it doesn't seem sinful compared to the sins of the world. And so a lot of times we like, we're not living in sin, but we're preparing for so much here on earth. And it's not wrong to prepare for things here on earth. You with me this morning? It's not wrong. But what's wrong is in comparison, you remember the first point? In comparison, it should look like we hate whatever it is over here in order to please God over here. So in comparison, does it look like you hate your retirement savings and earnings compared to what you're investing into your eternal life? 
Do you hate the time you're investing at your job compared to your relationship with Jesus Christ? It's all about comparison. That's where we get in danger of having idols in our life and things because when we're not weighing out the cost and realizing that Jesus should be so important and everything else we may love and like and really enjoy and appreciate and be thankful for it, but in comparison, it is nothing to Jesus. That's where we have to be careful because where our treasures are, think about it. Jesus said this, and you got to remember, ask yourself, Do I believe in Jesus Christ? Do I believe in his word? Jesus said, wherever our treasures are, that's where our hearts are going to be. Our hearts should belong to God. That's where our treasures should be. So if our treasures are somewhere else, it doesn't belong to God. But so many people say that they believe, right? So many people claim faith in Christ. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And James, in the early church, they were, they were having this struggle, this battle, of there were people who were claiming faith in Jesus Christ, but they weren't living for Christ. They weren't doing anything in the name of Christ. They, they weren't providing for their people. There was no good deeds among them. They said, well, we have faith. You know, as Christians, we love to claim freedom in Christ. We, we love to claim the freedom. Well, we don't have to go to church. We don't have to do this. You don't have to do all those things. And it's not about obeying all these little laws. But let me remind you, if you love Jesus, if he outweighs everything else significantly more, where it almost looks like hate in comparison, dude, you're going to want to be where Jesus is. You're going to want to be where his followers are. You're going to want to be where your brothers and sisters are. And and at least the demons, they believe the same thing that we do, but at least they tremble in fear. There's a lot of people who claim faith in Jesus Christ have no fear of him and God at all. That's why you see a lot of people who claim faith in Jesus Christ and they're living in sin and they're promoting sinful things. And that's why our, our society is in turmoil because you have a lot of Christians who are allowing sin. We cannot let ourselves doubt, even in the slightest way. Guys, remember, it's the little things, it's the subtle things in our life. If Satan can cause you to doubt, he will make your relationship with God frustrating as long as you do. You will constantly scratch your head. You'll constantly worry whether or not you're making the right decisions. You'll constantly worry whether or not it's God's will in your life. You'll constantly worry whether or not God even wants to. You're just going to question all these things. Because I'm telling you, we need to have the attitude that God means so much to me, that I'm pursuing him with everything, that I know his word so much that I know what God's will is in my life. You start talking about like praying for other people, like it's important for you to understand today that there's no reason that exists on earth why Jesus would not want to save the person that you're praying for to be saved. Whether it's some corrupt politician or it's a friend down the street or it's a family member, there is no reason why Jesus said, you know what, I died for everybody, but I didn't die for that guy. 
Like, nah, we're not going to worry about him. Jesus Christ died for everyone. And every person that gets saved is just another reason affirming his sacrifice in their life. There's no reason why somebody that you should be praying for to be saved. There is no reason that exists why God would not want to save them. There is no reason that exists why God would not want you to be a better witness for him. Why God would not want to give you wisdom. Not wisdom to make money, not wisdom to do good at this thing or be great at this thing, but wisdom to serve him and to be a better witness. There's no reason why God would not want to give you the words to say at the times that you need to say it. There's no reason why God would not want us to be a faithful body of Jesus Christ. There are some things that you don't have to sit around and scratch your head about. You don't have to worry about God's will. All you have to do is pray and say, God, there's no reason why you should not want to answer this. I'm going to keep praying for them. I don't know why you haven't done this yet, but I'm going to keep praying for them because I know there's no reason why this should not be your will. And there might be some things in your life say, God, I believe this is your will. With all my heart, I believe it's your will. And if it's not, you need to reveal it to me because I'm going to keep praying on it until you reveal to me that it's not your will. There are going to be some things in life that come up that might be a little hairy and you might have to pray and sift through those things, but you pray for God's will. You seek God and he'll show you which path to take. You've got to believe that. We've got to stop living in ways to where we just doubt, even in the slightest way. But we cling to faith. And understand me this morning, this is not a prosperity gospel. I don't believe in that at all. I don't believe in name it and claim it. But I do believe that we serve a God that through Christ, all things are possible. One of the biggest things, whenever I, we read the Bible at nighttime and I read it to Perry, and I'm talking to him, we, we come across, and there's several little passages in Scripture where it talks about through Christ, all things are possible. That's one thing I'm like, remember that. You need to remember that. You need to cling to that. You need to remember that in every aspect of your life. Through Christ, all things are possible. And it's not just a matter of accomplishing a goal or getting something done or realizing that there are things that no one else believes possible that you can do, but it's a simple matter of one day there's going to be sins and temptations and addictions and all kinds of stuff in your life that you need to remind yourself and tell yourself and have faith in that through Christ, all things are possible. That I can overcome this, not through my own power, but through Christ, all things are possible. It's the little things. We might believe in Jesus Christ, but truly having faith in him to accomplish what he's called us to do, to fulfill the law, not because we can, but through Christ, all things are possible. You can't be holy and righteous on your own, but through Christ, all things are possible. It affects so much of our life. Jesus has called you to be like him. And you can't do it under your own strength, but through Christ, all things are possible. Doubting the least little things in your relationship with God, whether it be his will, whether it be his ability, whether it be eternal life, whether it be not knowing whether or not it's going to be worth the sacrifice if you give this up in order to do what Jesus calls to do, doubting it in any way is going to stunt your spiritual growth. And as long as you doubt, you will continue to be stunted time and time again. 
And one day you'll wake up and all those subtle little doubts will have led you into a world of spiritual immaturity that you're still trying to fight through years later after you've professed faith in Christ. That's not God's will for your life. God's will is not for you to be timid. It's not for you to be weak. It's not for you to be unknowing. His will for you is to be strong, powerful Christians representing His name to be like Christ. Not because you're able, but because through Christ, all things are possible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. God, we just want to say thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and lives once again. And Lord, sometimes it's just not easy to have faith. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us and God, that you would help us. And I pray that every person in this room would call on the name of Jesus right now and ask for you to help us to have faith where we are weak in it. Some of us have, have faith in some things, and, and Lord, we're stronger in certain areas, and some of us don't. But God, I pray for each individual person in this room right now, the people who are watching online, the people who will listen to the podcast, God, I pray that they would cry out in the name of Jesus Christ and ask you to help them to have faith that they need to better serve you. And Lord, that it would not just be a one-time thing that they ask for, but God, they would wake up every day and ask God, Please give me the faith to live for you today, to trust in you, and to remember that all things are possible through Jesus Christ. That through you, nothing is impossible. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you so much for this day. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.